Uh, let's turn into the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with you, dear, and I plead with Sintika to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal York fellow, help these women to have contented, contended uh, at my side, who have contended at my side uh, in the course of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose name are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it in practice and the God of peace will be with you. And that's the word of God. Thanks be to God. I want to invite our worship team to give us a hymn before our Reverend Majid comes to give us the word. Let us pray. <coughs> our God and our Father, we want to thank you for your word today. Thank you for your servant, Reverend Majid, as he bring, brings your word to us, Lord. We are ready to receive of you. Would you speak to us today, Lord? May our hearts be ready to hear you minister to us. And would you use him and fill him with the power of the Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sometimes very difficult. Sometimes very weary. Sometimes the pressures of life. But we are in the race. And so Lord, as we look at what you have briefly in store for us today, our prayer, Lord, is that as we run this race, that Lord, you will give us power to be able to win. And when we reach on the other side, we will reach on the other side as victors. And so Lord, I pray that may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you only who is my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. We've been going through the book of uh, Philippians. We begin to start uh, descending. And uh, eventually next week, we will be done. But I invite each and every one of us to look at the fourth chapter of this book. And from this fourth chapter, you begin to see Paul beginning to have his closing remarks. Perhaps even the closing words to his dear friends in Philippi, far across the sea from his hired home in Rome. Because we said when we began the book that yes, this is actually a prison letter. And that when Paul is writing, he's writing 
from, let's say, like a prison context, though it's likely to be under house arrest. So it's like in a hired home in Rome, where he's chained to a Roman soldier and is awaiting for his trial before the Emperor Nero. And we said quite a bit at the beginning of the series about this Emperor Nero. Paul begins this fourth chapter with what looks like a mixed metaphor. As he writes, he says, Therefore, brethren, whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown, he says, stand firm in verse 1, in the Lord. He therefore refers back to chapter 3. The word therefore there refers back to chapter which we looked at last week. And the context, the metaphor that he was using of that one of uh, pressing on. And Reverend Irene brought it very well. A context of a race where she talked about the hurdler, basically the one that is running. The hurdle, the obstacles that we face as we go through the race. And the hope that yes, there may be obstacles, but Jesus can give us power. And by his grace, yes, we can win. So he begins by taking us back there as he's talking about running a race, seeing life and the happenings of life as an obstacle to the course of the race. He writes how he runs this race by pressing on to the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Allow me not to go into the details, seeing our time is slightly gone. But from this text that we are looking at, I see primarily four things that I want us to look at today. I have titled the message that I have today as either secrets of pressing on or keys to being able to press on as we run this race. Secrets to pressing on or if you prefer, keys to be able to press on as we run this race. Knowing that as we run this race, yes, there are hurdles. Yes, sometimes there are obstacles. And that is why that song that I asked the worship team to lead us in, just to make us be aware that yes, there is a race. But that race, it may look like it's difficult. But when Jesus Christ gives us power, he makes us to be able to run this race and to be able to be victors and to be able to be winners. And so those keys, I've tried to make them be a way that we can remember. Those keys, number one, is that as we run this race, we must be riveted on Christ. Riveted on Christ. As we run this race, we must relate in harmony. We must relate in harmony. As we run this race, number three, we must rejoice in the Lord. We must. There is no choice, but we must rejoice in the Lord. And number four is that as we run this race, we must rethink our positions. We must rethink even our presuppositions. We must rethink some of the beliefs that we have. We must rethink 
some of the values that we have. So if we prefer riveted, relating, rejoicing, and rethinking. Let's look at the first one, riveted on the Lord. If you look at verse 1 there, and I've tried to explain before, therefore refers to what he's been talking about, about being able to press on in the race. And so he says, my brothers, and look at the way he says that he's so close to them. You whom I love and I really, really long for. These brothers, obvious they are not blood brothers. But these brothers, they are brothers because they have a common denominator. And that common denominator is the fact that they've believed in Jesus Christ. And therefore, when they believe in Jesus Christ, it does not matter whether one is a Jew, whether one is a Gentile, whether one is black or whether one is white. But we are all now brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And because of that, he says, I am confined. But even in my confinement, I really long for you. Because these brothers are his joy. These brothers are his crown. Almost like saying that after all is said and done, if there is something that I need to be remembered for, when I journeyed this journey of faith in this life, is that I left people that can be called brothers, and therefore, those brothers are my crown. Where I get our first point is this, that this is how you should stand firm. Now, I, I use the terminology to revert, which basically, now, you know when you do revert, some, if you do a car, it's like joining two metals together. And when you join them, it's very difficult to separate. You use, uh, sometimes there are those uh, uh, modern ones uh, that you pump, you pump, and then it's able to revert, and it's able to stick. So in a sense, when you are talking about this, he's saying that, yes, when you are standing firm, you should not be yielding easily under pressure because you are stuck together. You are riveted together. And what are you riveted together on? You are riveted together on the Lord Jesus Christ. He's acknowledging that pressures of this life may come. He's acknowledging that yes, as we live this life, there may be difficulties. Yes, Jesus Christ said, in as long as we live in this world, this world, because this world is a sinful world, you will face troubles because the world and the systems of the world are opposed to the things of God. And therefore, there are schemes, there are plans. But he says, as you go through this, as you press on, and as you run this race, please be riveted, please stand firm on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he calls them dear friends. So that you are solid. So that whatever comes, the pressure comes, you are stuck and you are not able to be moved. Not moved. Not shaken easily. Fixed. And therefore, you are stable. And for us to be able to stand firm, for us to be able to be riveted on Jesus Christ, one or two things that must, we must have. One of them is that we must know the race. We must know why and where we are going. And therefore know that yes, there are circumstances around us here, but our eyes are fixed on the final goal 
of this race. So we must know what this race is about. And I have known that as an athlete or athletes as they run, they must know the race that they are running for. Is that true? You cannot run a hundred meters race like you are running a marathon. Because if you go to run a hundred meters race as you are running a marathon, oh my, you will be left so much behind. But at the same time, you cannot run a marathon like you are running a hundred meters race. Because if you do that, within a few seconds, you will be done. So we must be in that place, wonderful people of God, that we know what our race is. And ultimately, that race that we have, it's not about the things that we see in this world. That that race that we have, we must have our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. The other thing that you need to know is to know the rules of the race. What is expected on this race? What do I need to do on this race? And perhaps the other one is the reason for this race. So therefore he says, please stand firm. And for us to be able to remember easily, I said, please be riveted on Jesus Christ. Because if you are riveted on Jesus Christ, if you stand firm on Jesus Christ, there is no amount of pressure that will be able to sweep you away. It does not matter how strong the waves are, but your anchor will be able to hold, as the hymn writer says. And therefore, wonderful people of God, we run this race. We are in this world. This world is not our homes. We are likely to face obstacles. We are likely to face times that are not so easy. But I can assure you one thing. That if we stay and we stay riveted on Jesus Christ, no amount of pressure will be able to subdue us. Sounds like a song that was written those days with Jesus Christ. And the song was not in a Christian context. But the song said that yes, they were referring to other things. But I know for a sure fact that with Jesus Christ, nothing can boggle you. You can be unboggable in Jesus Christ. No amount of pressure can, can subdue you. Why do the Philippians need to grow stable? Because they were being persecuted by the Romans. They were being pressured by unsaved Judaizers. Judaizers were the Jews. And therefore they were saying, for you to be able to call yourself a child of God, you need to go through all the Jewish tradition. So those pressures were coming, they were being pressurized. They were being pressurized by the unsaved. The Gentile grace abusers, those that were saying, you know, after you've received the grace, you can do whatever you want to do under the planet because the, the, the grace is there for you and Jesus is a gracious God. So those were the pressures that they were facing. They were facing partition, they were partitioned by divisions. Paul says, in those circumstances, stand firm against these painful trials. So Paul reminds you, Paul reminds us that the Holy Spirit in us, once we've known Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we are riveted on him, we will be able to be stable. Now, that was about the Philippians. Wonderful people, as we come into the world today, we still have our own pressures. We have pressures in our homes and in our families. 
We are precious how we relate with others. We are precious as we work. We are precious in the society that we live in today. And I believe in those circumstances. Paul will still say, stand firm in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rather, be riveted on Jesus Christ. For if you do so, no amount of pressure will be able to separate us from the course and from the race. And by the grace of God, when all is said and done, we'll be able to say, yes, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Therefore, those that do so, there is a, a, a great reward in souls that await them. Let's go to point number two. Verse two and three. It says this. Point number two is relating in harmony. What does it say? Verse two, uh, media. It starts by saying, I plead with you, dear, and I plead with Sintage. To be of the same mind in the Lord Jesus. Verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companions, help these women since they have contended at my side in the course of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Are we able to get it up? Okay, we'll get it there. It looks like there was a disagreement. And the disagreement was between two ladies. One was your dear, and one was sainted. We are not told what the disagreement was. But I want to assume that it was such a heavy disagreement because this letter was to be read in public. And by the time Paul is writing this letter for your problems to be read to others, it must have been a serious, serious issue. And therefore he says, not once, he says, I plead with your dear, but I also plead with sentence. Almost like giving the emphasis. The bottom line is this, he's saying, can you please be able to live together in harmony? One of the things that I see here is that as Paul is up there, he's not taking side. He's not saying, I plead with you dear only. Neither is he saying that I plead with Sintage only. He is saying that I plead with both of them. It must have been a serious issue. He does not take sides. And then he continues to say that they should be able to have the same mind in the Lord. They should be in a place that they are agreeing with one another. As a matter of fact, if you are not able to live in harmony, the essence of the gospel is actually about love. When Jesus Christ was put to a corner by the Pharisees, they were asking him, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus Christ said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God. And the second to is, is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Therefore, it goes without saying that if you are a Christian, the way it can be known that you are a Christian, the way that it can be known that I'm a Christian, is the way I live with my neighbors. After all, at the beginning, he's calling them brothers. Therefore, we are brothers. We are created in the image of God. And therefore, he says, relate in harmony. Romans says this. Again, Paul writing to the Romans. He says this. That if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, 
live at peace with everyone. In other words, it all depends on us. And that's what God desires. Now, if you look at other versions, the older NIV says, instead of talking about uh, my true companions, he's saying about my yoke fellows. Now, you need to understand who Paul was. Paul was this apostle. Paul was this person that looked like he had achieved it all. Paul was this great apostle. And remember, apart from his position, he's coming to describe everyone there as my yoke fellows. Now, we all know what a yoke is. Most of us, I think we are in the generation where we have seen farming. And a yoke is that thing that holds two oxen together when you are plowing the land. Can you imagine the person that Paul was? He considers everyone else there that I'm just like you. And that, again, is a powerful lesson about just being able to work, just being able to live with one another. And so he says, yes, you are my yoke fellows. You are my brothers. Now, he refers to, apart from, apart from those yoke fellows, he refers to someone, uh, not just you, uh, but also along with Clement, and the rest of my co-workers. And that's where we get the word co-workers when we talk about co-workers here at Nbisionga Tarongai. Whose names are written in the book of life. Now, in those days the cities, the cities used to have people's names written. So every city knew who is in that city. But Paul, when he's saying that, he's saying you are my dog fellows. Not because your name is in that city gate to be known that you live in this city. But your name is not recorded in the book that people see. But your name is actually recorded in the book of life. And so he says, please, if there is anything that will show others that you are a child of God, forget about your differences. Be able to live with one another. Be able to forgive one another. It's almost like a model that when you are not able to call others of faith so that they can help. So that, yes, we can be able to live together in harmony. This issue about relating in harmony is so key. When Jesus Christ speaks about the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he says, if, it is, he says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and therefore remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go first, and be reconciled to your brother. Then after you are reconciled. Then come back and give your gift. Come back and worship the Lord. What Jesus was saying. It looks like one of the greatest hypocrisies. If yes we are saying we are Christians. If I am saying I am a Christian. And there is someone that I am not able to see uh, an, eye with, uh, an eye to eye with. There is someone that I am not able to agree with. One of the tenets of the gospel is that we be able to love one another, to relate with one another in harmony. A father taught his two sons that a house that is divided cannot stand. And so as he was teaching them, he told them that please, one of the older ones, they were always fighting, always fighting. I think perhaps it's common with boys who are almost age mates. Always fighting. So he came with one stick. He gave the, the older boy, he said, please break it 
And the boy broke it very easily, almost with a sneer on his face. He gave him another stick and the second one. The boy broke it, almost saying, ah, dad, this is easy. He gave them until when it got to the seventh, the boy was not able to snap and to break those sticks that were bound together. The son was amazed. Then the father cautioned his sons that a house divided cannot stand. And then he told them that you can be defeated one by one. But if you stand together, your united strength will cause your enemies to have a second thought when they are approaching you. The evil one schemes about you. The enemy schemes about you. All that we need to know is that we can live in harmony and we can share in harmony. And this can be applied in a home context, a husband and a wife. This can be applied in a home context, a brother to a sister, a brother to a brother, a son to a father. All that Paul is saying is that if you are a Christian, if you are a brother in Jesus Christ, please, for you to be able to overcome, for you to be able to press on, for you to be able to win this race, we must be able to relate in harmony. David says in Psalms uh, 133, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hammon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessings. Which basically means when we are not able to be one, chances are the blessings of God may not come upon us. May the Lord help us to be riveted on Jesus Christ as we run this race. May the Lord help us to relate with harmony, be it in our homes, be it in the church here, and be it even in our workplaces. If there is anything that should be known and should be a mark of a Christian, is that it should be seen the way we love uh, one another. The second thing is to rejoice in the Lord regardless Verse 4 to 7. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, for the Lord is near. Now, remember again, who is Paul writing to? Paul is writing to a people that are being persecuted. And Paul himself in is in prison under house arrest and he can afford to say that I am rejoicing and he's urging them to rejoice. I want to put it to us that circumstances will come but we need to be the, the bigger person and to be able to rejoice and that rejoicing is not because we are very strong. That rejoicing is because we are rejoicing in the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't just an empty encouragement to be happy or have a good day. No. Paul commands them to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing is not merely a passive, spontaneous reaction. As a command, it is to be a deliberate choice. It is to be a deliberate effort that we make and say that regardless of the circumstances, I choose to rejoice. 
the Philippians Christians are to take joy. That is, find joy in the fact that God's love for them, that Jesus has died for their sins, in the promise that their names are written in the book of life, that the Holy Spirit is there with them constantly, that they have eternal life with God, and therefore he says, rejoice in the Lord always, because circumstances may push you, but that there's something that they cannot take away from you, and that which they cannot be able to take away from us is the fact that we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That rejoicing is not just at some times when things are okay, but that rejoicing us is actually all the time, even when things are difficult. He continued to say, as we rejoice, yes, there could be those anxious moments. There could be those difficult times. But he says, do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, regardless of the circumstances, we present our request to God. And if we do so, he says, then the peace of God that transcends all understanding will actually be with you. Now, the peace of God that transcends all understanding, yes, people may look at us and say, but you have lost this. You have lost a loved one. You have lost a job. The business is not coming through. But because we know where to present our petitions and requests, God, by his grace, allows his peace, that peace that goes beyond the happenings around us, will guard our hearts and will guard our minds in Christ Jesus. While walking along a busy street one day, G. Bosch says that I heard someone singing his sweet voice was so distinguishable, even above the noise of the traffic. And that when I located him, I noticed that this person that was singing a sweet song and whose voice was rising above even the chaos and the noise of traffic, that this man had no legs and he was pushing himself through the crowd on a wheelchair. Catching up with him, Bosch said, I said, I want you to know, friend, that our singing from a person in your condition gives everyone else a lift and encourages someone. And the young man said this, when I stopped at what I had lost and began concentrating on what I still have and what I still hope to have in future, I found much for which I could rejoice and be happy. And that which we have for our great future is that yes, the circumstances may be heavy, the surrounding may be difficult, but there is something that they may not be able to take from us. And that is the fact that with Jesus Christ, when this life is no more, when we are no more, we'll be with him rejoicing, getting into that great city, the new Jerusalem as Revelation says, the place that knows no pain. So we must be in that place when we want to run this race. Number one, that we are riveted on Jesus Christ. If we are to run this race, we must relate in harmony with others. If you are to run this race successfully, wonderful people, we must rejoice and we must have our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Number 
4 and the last one, verse 8 to 9. And the fourth point we are saying, rethink our position. He says this, finally brothers and sisters if you prefer. Are we able to get to verse 8? Okay. Finally brothers, the newer versions will say and sisters. Whatever is true, whatever is noble. Can we read together? Whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, do what? Now, you can interpret that in two ways. One is fix your eyes when we are going through this race and having different obstacles. Fix your eyes and stay only on whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. So regardless of what we are going through, have our eyes fixed on those things. That is one way of interpreting that. The second way of interpreting it is this. If this is what you have believed in, think about it. Think about it. And therefore, if you think about it that way, then have your eyes, have your goals in the right place. Don't take it at face value. Focus on them after thorough examination. What Paul is saying that sometimes there are things that must may masquerade as they are right, but not necessarily. Please weigh that with what God says so that you stay riveted. And that is only possible when you stay riveted on Jesus Christ. Whether they look like they are noble, they look like they are honorable, that's what nobility means. Please think about such things. And then as he concludes, he says this. That yes, I want you to learn from me. Whatever you have learned, whatever you have learned could have been as he spoke to them, as he wrote these letters to them, but also as they watched him. They had seen him. It's always better when what you say is actually consistent with what you do. It reinforces it. And therefore Paul concludes this and saying, Please, whatever you have learned from me. What is it that you've learned from me? Remember who Paul was. Do you remember? Paul was a chief persecutor of Jesus Christ. Paul was the one that was killing Christians. Until that time on his way to Damascus in the book of Acts chapter 9, he met Jesus Christ. That is Paul. But the other side of Paul is that Paul was a great man. And if Paul was a great man, nearly most of the, of, of the books in the New Testament were written by Paul. Please listen to what Paul says in, in, in chapter, chapter 3, verse 1 following. Can you go to chapter 3? What does it say? Father, my brothers, as, as you get there, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is not trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for such confidence. What Paul is saying in the continuing verses, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh 
I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee. So on one hand, Paul was ultimate, your ultimate achiever. But all those things he comes and he says, I now count them laws. Now, what do you learn from there? That we can be the worst of sinners as Paul was persecuting the church. But the grace of God. When the grace of God meets you, a turnaround happens. And the same zeal that Paul was pursuing and persecuting Christians, he turns it around. And the same zeal now, he pursues Jesus Christ and making one of the greatest impact. I don't know where you have been. I don't know the successes you have. I don't know the weaknesses that you may think that you have. Maybe you are here and you are thinking, where I have been, maybe I am the worst of the sinners. Paul says, write from me, learn from me. I was the worst of the sinners. And by the grace of God, when I met Jesus Christ, a turnaround happened and my life changed. I want to tell someone here today that your life can change when you encounter Jesus Christ. But let me talk on the other side. Maybe sometimes you're in the place that I have everything and all that. Those days we used to say, I have all that and a bag of chips. It is not about our achievement. And Paul says, please learn from me. I had all that. And he says, I count them lost. Because when he met Jesus Christ, he realized that actually all those things are meaningless. Especially when Jesus is not at the center. When Jesus is at the center, then the achievements are okay because they are put in the right place. When Jesus is not in the center, we can be living for the achievement. When Jesus is in the center, those achievements can be used to create bridges. When Jesus is not at the center, those achievements, they create divides. So that we start talking of social status, economic status. But I have seen that most of the most humble people are people that have all that, but at the core of their achievement, they are Jesus Christ to the core. And that is what Paul is saying. I have been there. I have been on both sides of extremes. But when I met Jesus Christ, my life was changed. And a meaningfulness came into my life. He was once a sinner. He was once an achiever. But when he gave his life to Jesus Christ, he became totally sold out for the sake of the gospel. To the point that yes, he was now serving in jail. Not because of anything bad that he had done but because of his firm faith in Jesus Christ. To the point that it is said, history tells us that yes, he must have been uh, uh, prosecuted and died because of following Jesus Christ. So may the Lord help us wonderful people as we try to draw to a close. That as we run this race, that we be riveted on Jesus Christ and him alone and that we stand firm 
on Jesus Christ. Number two, may the Lord help us that as we run this race, we be relating in harmony with everyone that is around us and especially those that are of faith. And may the Lord help us that as we run this race, we have our eyes fixed on him. And therefore, regardless of the circumstances, we can still afford to rejoice because the joy comes from the deep inside while happiness depends on the happening. May the Lord help us to evaluate and to think and to rethink of the things that we hold so dear, whether they are whatever it is true or whatever is noble, that Jesus Christ be always be at the center. So may the Lord help us to press on. Worship him, please come. May the Lord help us to press on towards the goal and towards the gift of the high calling. May the Lord help us to run the race. May the Lord help us to win the race. And so, there is a race I must run and there are victories to be won. Give me power every hour to be there is a race come on sing it again there is a race there is a race I want you to sing it just quietly, worship him. And I want to give us a moment or so. We are all running this race. We are all in this race. We are all running. We are all running. Are you here and you are feeling that the hurdles are just too much today? And if you be in that place, let me just encourage you to be riveted on Jesus Christ. And perhaps just go back to him and say, Lord, I want to come and I want to be glued to you. I want to be grounded on you. But when the waves come, I am not moved. But I also want to give us an opportunity. I do not know where you are. I don't know where you are in your life with your relationships to others. It could be our colleagues. That yes, we are Christian, but we are not seeing an eye to an eye. It could be a parent. It could be a son or a child. It could be a brother or a sister. It could be our husband. It could be a wife. What I believe my message for you here is today. As Paul pleads with your dear and sainted. That we live in harmony. And humble ourselves towards the path of reconciliation. And humble ourselves towards the path of restoration.
And so if that is where you are, I ask you in your own way, just go before the Lord and say, Lord, this relationship, Lord, it has weighed so much on me as I run this race of faith. But also, I encourage us this day that regardless of what the life will throw to us, the lemons that the world will throw to us, that we'll have our eyes fixed on Jesus. And as we have our eyes fixed on Jesus, we can rejoice, presenting our requests to him, anxious moment to him and by his grace by his grace he can give us a peace that transcends all understanding but also again you may be here and there is something that you've been holding on to so dear sometimes they look like they're excellent and trustworthy and praiseworthy Jesus will want us today think of our presuppositions. Jesus will want us today to reevaluate our beliefs. Jesus will want us today to have him at the center of everything and to be able to learn from Paul and to say that regardless of what we have, regardless of what we hold on to, when Jesus is not at the center, it is all meaningless. So Lord, we bless you. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for those prayers that we have made. Thank you for the restoration that you are making us. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us back on course. And if you are here and perhaps you made any of those prayers and you want us to continue to talk to you, please see any of us after the service so that we can just try walking together as brothers and sisters in Paul as he said York fellow there was no superiority there was no inferiority they were just brothers York fellows so if you made any of those prayers and you want us to come back on course to run this race that we know please see us as we finish the service and so there is a race Thank you so much, uh, Reverend Majid. Can we celebrate the word of God? And we thank you. I believe that will be in order. Are you blessed today? Are you blessed? Let me ask you to stand. Let me ask you then just to raise your hands as, uh, as you pray. And so wonderful people of God, as you go, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you. May the Lord bless you as you go out. May the Lord bless you as you come in. May the Lord bless you in the city. May the Lord bless you in the land. May you see the favor and the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. For this is my prayer for you and over you. In the name of God who is the Father and who is the Son and who is the Holy Spirit. And we all said, we all said, Amen. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now.
and forevermore. Amen.